Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about brave work, tough conversations, whole hearts. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome back friend of the program. It's her second time on the Leader Chat Podcast. Brene Brown, welcome back to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I love it. I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you. So glad to have you on. So excited about your new book, Dare to Lead. And I talked to you know so many friends and colleagues about about having you and having this conversation today. And and almost almost everybody shared with me an Instagram post. They shared with me a, a quote of yours. They told me a story about the, they have one of your books, dog eared. You know, with the with highlighter marks throughout. They said you've changed your life. How much does that drive you uh, to to know the difference you're making out there? You know, I think it's, you know, I'm not very good at like BS your answers, so I'm just going to be really honest with you. I think I am still like in, a, in disbelief about it like 95% yeah. of the time. I think for me, um, it's changed my life so profoundly, mm-hmm. um, all of the work up to this point. And I think the leader, the new book on leadership, you know, I'm an, I'm an, accidental leader you know i i found myself all of a sudden you know not just a university professor but a founder and ceo and there's a bunch of people who work here and you know and and so i think when people say the work has resonated and affected them it's always weird because they're like how do you know these answers and i'm like because I asked you the right questions, y'all gave me the answers, and then I coded them into data and found the themes and patterns and just gave them back to you with language that makes sense. But I, I just came with the questions. It's the research participants that gave me the answers, you know? So I think I'm just a, I'm a stenographer, you know? I'm, I'm taking it in, and I think I am good at putting language to things that resonates with people, but really, you know, I've been changed by the work fundamentally. The leadership work has been like, who knew? Like, yeah. who knew how hard it is? Golly. Yeah. It's hard. And, yeah, you are a researcher at, at heart. You have, have several um, number one New York Times bestsellers, uh, Braving the Wilderness, Rising Strong, Daring Greatly, The Gift of Imperfections, fantastic books. We're going to talk today about your latest one called Dare to Lead. Why now? Why You, you touched on it a little bit about the, the whys of getting to that, but why did you feel like this was the, the, the next topic you really wanted to pour your heart and soul into? You know, because it, it's funny because I, people don't know this about me. Um, you do because you've got the book, but <laughs> I studied organizational leadership and change management in my PhD program. Hmm. And I left the field completely 
after, you know, and I had worked in leadership for AT&T for several years. Like I left the field completely because I decided that what I really wanted to study was vulnerability and courage and heart. And I did not see, I saw those things as mutually exclusive. Um, there were one or two kind of totally rogue people combining leadership and heart, Ken Blanchard being one of them. Um, but I just, there were so many battles. I just couldn't figure it out. And so the last seven years, again, just kind of found myself in organizations working with leaders and becoming a leader and really needing to understand, like the question I've asked in every one of my research projects, it always starts with the same thing is what's getting in the way of us really showing up and being brave with our lives. And so I decided to pose that question in the context of work because, you know, we have a pretty lofty mission here, which is to make the world a braver place. And if you don't change the way people work, you cannot change the world. And what? so, yeah, so I was like, I'm, I'm going to try it. Yeah. I'm sorry to, to step on you there. I, I um, want to quote you a little bit. You said that the skill sets that make up courage are not new. They're, they've been aspirational leadership skills for as long as there have been leaders, yet we haven't made great progress in developing these skills and leaders. Why do you think that is? It's messy. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's all of us. So, you know, it's, I, I literally think there's a conspiracy <laughs> to call, really, to call these things soft skills so that the people who are most fearful of them have some grounds to dismiss the importance of them. Like, but when I started digging into this, I think that we don't have the courage to talk about courage because it means talking about fear. It means talking about scarcity. It means talking about the way we self-protect and how that moves us away from our ethics and our values. So I just think the time is high. I mean, the time is now. It's like we are, you know, I, I, I was with Ken and Marjorie and got, had a chance to spend some time with you and, and just listening. You know, this is the same drum, I think, that Ken Blanchard and everyone that works around him has been beating for since the beginning of the work. Um, people matter. And if we don't start paying attention to and rehumanizing work, we're going to find ourselves incapable of addressing some of the intractable problems we have. You uh, focus so much in in a lot of your previous books, and I had mentioned before, so many people were just excited to know because they had a connection to you because people think about like, well, that's shaping me, that's personal to me. But a lot of the focus here is is through that research that you've had and through your history and your past in the workforce. And so a big part of this is you actually went to the, right to the top of, of a lot of different organizations to sea levels. And you talked to more about 150 global sea level leaders on the future of leadership. What... What did you find from them? What sort of behaviors and what sort of qualities did, did you find that they're looking for for the future? God, it was so fascinating because whether it was a, you know, entrepreneurial startup in Silicon Valley or an established oil and gas company in Singapore, whether it was, a, you know, a Hollywood movie studio or, you know, the military, 
every leader defined kind of the future of leadership the same way. We need braver leaders and more courageous cultures. Change is fast and furious. The problems are more complex than ever. Technology is just, you know, we're on a ride with that. We need more courage. And so I was like, and I was so, I was actually surprised because one of the things I was really committed to doing was purposely sampling across different kinds of organizations from Fortune 10s, again, to, you know, community organizers who are leaders. And so I'm like, okay, so we need more courage in, in the culture and we need braver leaders. So I got very specific and said, help me understand what that looks like. You know, let's get tactical. Let's get behavioral. And over half the people that I interviewed said, well, it's just courage. I mean, you either have it or you don't. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you know, it's, it's not a skill set or a behavior. You're just a brave person or you're not. And I was like, wow, that doesn't, I, that does not fit with what I have been studying for 20 years. Like I, you know, and I was like, okay, well, let's do this. If that's, if, if you can't come up with what courage looks like, tell me what courage, tell me what, you know, tell me what's, what's happening in your organization that makes you think there's a lack of courage. What does fear look like? What is, and then, wow, they got super specific. Um, you know, the biggest thing, no tough conversations, people, people avoid difficult, uncomfortable, awkward conversations. Um, and that gives birth to everything from gossip to passive aggressive behavior. Um, another one, we spend too much time managing problematic behaviors and people won't address, you know, we don't have leaders that will address the root problem. Um, diminishing trust because of a lack of empathy and connection. Um, people are not taking enough smart risks and, you know, sharing bold ideas. Uh, and this was a big one too. We get stuck. We experience setbacks or failures or disappointment. And I have teams and individuals who cannot reset. Hmm. Like I, instead of cleaning up and resetting and getting, you know, serving the consumer, whoever we need to serve, I'm trying to handhold people through this failure. Um, you know, it just kind of, this list went on. And so what was helpful is we learned very quickly that courage is absolutely a skill set. And in order to confront some of these big barriers to daring leadership, there are four skill sets that are 100% teachable, learnable, and measurable. And when we, we when it, and I want to share this with you, Chad, because it was so cool. Yeah. It was just cool. When we went yeah. back to some of the leaders and said, hey, you know, we want to check something with you. We think these skills are actually teachable. This is what we think the skill sets are. This is what we think the behaviors are. Every one of them said, Oh my God, I room. I, yes, I learned these things. And I was like, what do you mean? And one man, just CEO for probably I mean, 12 years, he got teary eyed. He said, hmm. I thought these were inherent. I forgot I learned these and I could tell you what I was wearing the day I learned most of these skills. I can tell you the co the coaches that taught me this. I can tell you the moments with my father that, you know, where I learned this, my mom. And so it was very 
and I, again, I think Ken, I've heard Ken talk about this in kind of different language, but I think sometimes time wears the edges off our memories and we, we forget that some of the things that we're good at that we expect from other people, but don't want to take the time to teach them, you know, those were skills. Yeah. We didn't come like that. For me, I think that's that's the the most exciting takeaway from from this latest this book and and your research is that you and you talked about it, it's the four skill sets and so what that tells me and you've talked about Ken before at, at the Blanche organization if if, if there's skill sets then we can t- we can we can teach you you know you can be trained you could learn you could be coached so let's kind of walk through that let's kind of walk through those four skill sets and and uh, and and kind of give us kind of a. a, a a pathway uh, uh, before people grab the book, uh, but a pathway on how maybe we could use some of this and start learning some of these skills. Yeah, let's do it. And so let me start here because I think this is, it was an interesting finding. So we wondered if the biggest barrier to courageous leadership, you know, the, the reason why people don't have the skills is fear. But then when we started measuring and talking to some brave leaders, people who exemplified these skills, they were like, uh, I'm afraid all the time. <laughs> like, it, you know, fear is I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with fear. Yeah. So we were like, so fear is not the barrier. What if, if fear is not the barrier to courageous leadership and building these skills? What is the barrier? And the barrier is armor. Hmm. It's not that we're afraid because we're all afraid. Most of us are afraid and brave all day long, every day in the same moment. It's not that we're afraid that gets in the way. It's the way we self protect when we feel unsure, uncertain, vulnerable, scared, um, defensive. It's our armor that gets in the way. And so there are four skill sets. The first one is rumbling with vulnerability. And it is literally 60%, this skill set, and the book is divided by these four skills. This skill set is literally 60% of the book. It is the foundational skill. If you cannot figure out how to rumble with vulnerability, and vulnerability is an emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty and risk and emotional exposure. If you can't figure out how to be in that, you cannot courageously lead. You just, you can't do it because you'll start to feel vulnerable. You'll be in a convert, you'll be in a room in a meeting and someone will ask a really hard question. And if you're not comfortable not knowing, if you have to be the knower, then you BS, you make something up, you blame other people for not having the answers instead of saying, you know what? I don't have to be the knower here. Let me be the learner and say, I don't have the answer. What do we need to do to dig in and learn? And so really that first skill, it's like, you know, I, I talk about a sports metaphor in the book that our CFO Charles is, was a very competitive pool billiards player, a pool player. And when he was reading early copies, he's like, man, rumbling with vulnerability is like getting a stick on the cue. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, When you train in pool or billiards, he said, you have to get this fundamental skill down of making sure the the stick can hit the cue ball in the right place and set your your shot in motion. And he said, so sometimes what we would do is lay a glass Coca-Cola bottle on the table 
and spend hours just stroking into that bottle with our cue stick without ever trying to hit the rim of the bottle, which leaves, you know, very little margin <laughs> for ever, error. And he said it's about learning how to stand, how to get a pendulum swing, you know, with your elbow. And he said the reason why you have to do that is because when you get into a pool tournament and you get into a complex game, you have to rely on muscle memory so you can focus on higher order thinking. You have to get, you know, you have to start thinking about speed and spin and strategy and banking. And, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I included the story in the book because I was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And there are very specific tools that we can use. Like the greatest tool in rumbling with vulnerability is curiosity. So you and I get into a hard place and, and, and you give me some hard feedback and instead of posturing and becoming defensive, armoring up, blaming others, shirking responsibility, I stay open, armors off and I say, okay, Chad, I want to hear you. Let me just take a moment. Can you walk me through kind of what you saw happen when I was managing that project? Can you help me understand this? What did that look like? Was there a moment when you think I kind of lost control of things and when, when I lost control of the time piece? Like how, but, but, and it sounds like a small thing, but we found what, what emerged from the data were 16 different ways we armor mm. and 16 ways that we move from that armor into daring leadership. And so I'll just share a couple with you um, okay. that I think okay. will resonate. Um, so using criticism as self-protection. So instead of, you know, and that's, that's armored leadership. I'm critical of everybody and everything. Um, I'm not, you know, and daring leadership is making a contribution actually and taking risks. It's easy to be critical. It's easy to sit there and say, like, this is my, this is as a leader, one of the most frustrating things for me is if someone comes into a room and I'm like, here's what I think we can do. Nope, that won't work. Well, should we try this? No, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> All right. Then that's it. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. No. What's your contribution? What's your idea? Another example, and this has changed fundamentally the way I lead, especially with my direct reports, which is kind of our leadership team. Armored leadership is when people hustle for their worth. Daring leadership is when people are clear and know their value. Hmm. So a lot of times in an armored leadership culture, everyone's hustling to appear important, to appear to add value, as opposed to when we take time with our direct reports and the people we lead, even our colleagues, our peers, and say, look, this is where I think you contribute enormous value. So grateful. This is where you make us better. And then when people understand their value and they don't have to hustle for their worth, it shifts everything. All of a sudden, people go from needing to be right to wanting to do the right thing. From needing to be important to doing important work. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it, for me, I, I think about those leaders that, that I'm always in awe of during those difficult conversations or, or when maybe you're not even sharing uh, or I'm not even sharing uh, um, uh, my thoughts exactly and the patience from their end. They're not so uh, reacting is not in their goal set at that point. They're really trying yeah. to understand and trying to add to the conversation versus shooting it down or or letting everyone know that they're right. And so, you know, as Ken said, going back to one of your early things, feedback is the breakfast of champions, but we all really struggle. Um, many of us, I won't say we all, but many of us struggle with actually taking that for the gift that it is. But no, I, I, this is resonating very well. So thank you. Yeah, and I think the thing about feedback that's been so interesting in studying all of this, and I will just tell you, caveat, like just disclaimer, Yeah, it is so much easier to study leadership than it is to be a leader. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's like, I will put it up there with, you know, Steve and I, my husband and I have been together for 30 years, married mm-hmm. for 20, I think 24. We beautiful. have two amazing, beautiful kids. This leading probably yeah for sure i'll say this um leads to as many sleepless nights and anxiety and fear as you know partnering and parenting because you feel really responsible for people's well-being i mean you you know it's it's if you're leading to be in service you're choosing a very noble but hard road and so like, so here's another thing that came up, like, and I, and it's so funny cause I would, I was actually, when I was writing about this, I was like, man, I'd love to have a conversation with Ken about this because <laughs> it, 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 it was a big one for me. And it was that leaders must be connected with and care for the people they lead, that that is an irreducible need. And this whole idea, like, I don't have to like you. I don't have to care for you. I don't have to be connected to you. I just need to, you know, professionally, we just need to be sure this works out in terms of like lead or direct report. That is just not true. Yeah. That does not bear out in any, any of the research we did. Like, yeah, the, it just doesn't work. The, that, that, uh, that quote, uh, that saying, you know, business, it's, it's not personal, it's business. And I, we, we've have had discussions about that on this podcast. Actually, it is very personal. It is a business is personal. It's the most personal thing you do. It's what you do most this more than you do almost anything else in life. And, and you have to be able to connect at a personal level to be effective, I think. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I was so ready, you know, as a grounded theory researcher, you know, I'm looking for patterns and themes. And then I try everything I can to disprove them. I try to find any data, collect any data that don't fit, you know, that is like, you know, this refutes that. So it's not true because grounded theory is a very rigorous methodology and we're not allowed to have outliers. And so I was getting ready to go spend a, a day at an Air Force base with fighter pilots and combat hard folks. And I thought, wow, this will get disproved there because they're going to be like, uh, look, I don't need to like you or care for you. We just need to follow orders, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm there for 30 seconds before the general in command of this specific base quoted his boss as saying affection for the people we lead is a standard that we will not go beneath. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Affection. 
affection. We cannot lead people if we do not have full affection for them. And so, you know, we have to find ways to connect. We have to find commonality. We have to find ways to find the humanity in each other. And if we can't, we have to do the courageous thing and say, I'm not the right leader for this person. Because despite my efforts, I just fundamentally cannot connect with him or her. And they deserve a better, you know, they deserve a better relationship with their leader. And I think that's hard for people, but I, I just pressure tested it every way I knew how. Um, and I believe it. So that's a big learning. Another big learning for me that is, you can tell I'm really excited. Sorry. I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, I'll tell you the last one, then I'll take a breath. But this was because I, I, because you know, I'm just now talking about the book for the first time. Like, yeah. Like, and so, um, and it's funny because, you know, we've, our culture did some of these things, but didn't do all of them. And so we're now all working on them. So I'm, so I'm excited to talk to people outside of my organization that right. putting these into practice. But the last one is, um, that kind of just took my breath away. I think for my own learning was we have to spend a reasonable amount of time attending to the fears and feelings of the people we lead or squander an unreasonable amount of time managing unproductive and problematic behaviors. Like you either invest the time to understand feelings and fear and a reasonable amount of time. You're not a therapist, but a reasonable amount of time addressing those issues or you spend a hugely unreasonable amount of time playing whack-a-mole with behaviors that are almost impossible to manage. And the problem is that only the best leaders have the confidence and the tools to sit down and talk about fears and feelings with people. Like that's a skill set. We're going to talk about the other the, the other uh, skill sets. How much hope do you have? And just kind of take a, a segue, a little opportunity here to just talk about there are so many leaders out there, you know this, that aren't effective leaders, that aren't caring individuals, that aren't going to take the time, would rather play whack-a-mole and are pretty gifted at it. Um, do you think that we're going to see a, a sea change in the corporate world where there's going to be many, many, many more great leaders than there are those, those horrible bosses that every one of our listeners could raise their hand and, and list off several? Yes, and I'm going to tell you why, and I and I think I've got a quasi scary answer. Okay. I spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley, and I've spent a lot of time with companies who are deep into machine learning and AI. And I think we're headed toward a future where machine learning and AI will manage a lot. But what they will never be able to manage and what they will never be able to do is courageous, empathic, connected leadership. And we will get to the point where those will be the leaders left standing and they will, they will forge the way forward. Um, they will forge the way forward. And I think it's, I'm hopeful about it. Yeah. But I also believe at the same time that 
we're going to have to be able to get uncomfortable. It's, it's really interesting because the, the takeaway, and I don't know if this was implicit what you're trying to say, but we, there's a really good chance and, and a, a, our, our workforce is going to shrink a little bit. It's going to be more machine learning and we're probably going to have less leaders. And so now maybe we'll have the luxury of being more deliberate in hiring and training and nurturing the right type of leadership skills. Yeah. I mean, I think there's this quote that I have in the book from Manu Shafiq who is the director of the London School of Economics, where they just, you know, there are so much about leadership training. And this quote just, I think it says it all. It says, in the past, jobs were about muscles. Now they're about brains. But in the future, they'll be about the heart. Hmm. And so, you know, command and control, do as I say, not as I do, I'm not going to have hard conversations that make me feel uncomfortable. I think we will see in the next five years the severe weeding out of that type of leadership. I'll be back with the rest of the interview in just a moment, but I want to share a unique offer with you. In December, the revised edition of Leading at a Higher Level by Ken Blanchard and the founding associates and consulting partners of the Ken Blanchard Companies will be released. How would you like to receive a free copy of the new book? All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and write a review. Then just send an email to podcast at kenblanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. And in the body of the email, write your information and the date of the review. At the end of December, we'll select five lucky winners who'll receive a signed copy of Leading at a Higher Level. All right. So let's let's move on from yeah. after the the rumbling with vulnerability, which you said is a big portion of the book. And it's a big portion of what what uh, what people know and think of you about vulnerability. You've really brought that to the forefront of the of uh, of, of discussion. What is the next skill set that uh, people are going to learn from Dare to Leap? So the next one, I think, is about living into our values. And mm-hmm. so when you and I need to be, when, when we have to do tough things, when we have to show up for the hard conversation, when we have to give or receive hard feedback, um, when we have to take, you know, put a bold idea into motion and we're unsure about the outcome and we've got all the data we can get, but we still have to take some risk. The leaders who do that best and the most often and the most consistently are very clear about their values and they know what behaviors align with those values and what behaviors don't align with those values to the point where the majority of courageous leadership leaders that we interviewed, if you said, what are your values could name their one or two core values. Yeah. If, if you ask them, what does that look like behaviorally? They could say, I do this. I don't do this. If I do this, I'm out of line with my values. And a bigger part, and this was shocking to me, um, when, when we don't operationalize values into behaviors, they become kind of gauzy, aspirational posters in the halls of organizations right. that people just kind of roll their eyes when they pass. We've worked with thousands of organizations at this point, and what I can tell you is about 10% of organizations that we've worked with have operationalized their their values into behaviors that they teach people and hold people accountable for. So, yeah, yeah, 90% of organizations 
have not taken the time to operationalize their values. Yeah, I think you're you're dead on. And also for, for on a personal perspective, if you aren't aware of what your values are and you haven't really sussed those out, then you don't have the gift of awareness to be able to kind of check yourself when you're not living those values. Yeah, and it's kind of a pain in the butt, to be honest with you. Like, I'm very clear. Yeah, and they're, they run me ragged. I, I, I test them. Yeah. <laughs> I test my values to the point of breaking on a regular <laughs> basis, you know? Like... One of my value, my two values are courage and faith. And so, and I, and I have other values like, you know, family and love and, and, but courage and faith for me is where everything is tested. And so, you know, you think about the political climate that we're in right now. And so one of the behaviors that aligns with my faith value is to try to find God in the face of everyone you meet. Hmm. And that's a pain in the butt. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, it totally is. Like, I don't yeah. want to, like, I, I don't want to find God in your face because we disagree so passionately about political issues or economic or cultural issues that I, I want to find God in my face. And then I want to kind of punch you in your face. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm up against. And so, but when I start, I mean, I obviously don't hit anybody, but when I start thinking like that, <laughs> Although I, I, I've been, there's been times where I'm like, but when I remember what the behavior is that I, that keeps me in alignment and then I remember what it feels like to be out of alignment, it's powerful. So one of the things that we're doing is we, you know, we're like a lot of companies have come to us and said, can you help us operationalize your value, our values? And that's not work that, I mean, I enjoy doing that work and I've done it mm-hmm. again for some companies that we are mm-hmm. working with, but we decided now nah, let's just give it all away. So when the book launches on October 9th, we're going to open up a dare to lead hub on BreneBrown.com, and we just have the process. We have a list of hundreds of behaviors that you can choose from and kind of different values they ladder up to. And we're just going to give that away and say, here's how you do it. Put a team together. Here's the 10 step process. Here are the materials you need. Um, because it's not about us consulting with you or advising you. I just wanted to write a book and said, let me give away everything I can because we need to change work. So powerful, and and uh, we'll make sure at the end of the podcast as well, we'll, we'll give people some um, places to go to get some of those uh, sure. those resources. So, so moving on to the third skill set, uh, where do we go from there? We've uh, rumbled with vulnerability, and that's an ongoing process. We understand our values and we live them. What's the third step? Braving trust. So, kind of the the corrosion of trust, or the inability to talk about trust, the inability to build trust is a huge barrier to courage and leader in leadership and courageous behavior by everyone because you know it's it's amy edmondson's research on psychological safety it's what they found in project aristotle with google you know what do high performing teams share in common above everything else like there's not even a close second and that is trust and psychological safety i can be vulnerable with you the problem is that you know, and it's a big problem. The problem is that leaders don't know how to talk about trust. Right. And 
if you challenge my trustworthiness, I can't even stay in a conversation with you because I'm so limbic at that point. I'm so defended at that point. I mean, armored. And so braving trust is about how we build trust in ourselves, self-trust, and how we build trust in teams. And we use an acronym to teach trust. Uh, We break trust into seven elements, and the acronym is BRAVING. Boundaries, reliability, accountability, the vault or confidentiality, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity or assumption of positive intent. And so we give people the tools to sit down and have a conversation so that if you call me into your office, the convert, you know, it's not like, hey, Brene, you didn't get the project lead because we don't trust you. It's, hey, Brene, you didn't get the project lead because we still are struggling with some issues around, you know, assumption of generosity. When things don't go well, you seem to, you know, assume the worst in people's intentions, and that's going to get in the way of leading a stressful project. We need to work on that. So it's behavioral, it's specific, it's tactical. So we've got just uh, enough time for a couple more questions. And so the last one is the one I want to learn uh, a, a little bit about as well, because it definitely, it, it, it sounds like a, a skill set that comes straight from Brene Brown. I love it. Learning to rise. How do you teach that? And how's that a skill set that, that we can use in the workplace? It's been so interesting because I work with a lot of professional sports teams and I was talking with some scouts from the Astros. Go Astros, go Astros. Um, go Cubs, go Cubs. <laughs> Let's just say go good baseball. Um, exactly. Yeah, but go Astros. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, and, it's so, and it's not just the scouts of the Astros, it's people that I've talked to from a lot of different teams that will say, right. you know, right. there is a level of skill we need to see in professional, you know, professional sports. But once you're above that skill, there's still a lot of decisions that we make about what players we bring in and what players we don't. And we'll take, once you're above that skill set, we'll take someone that's just barely above that skill set, but who has the power to reset over the person who's got the top skills, who cannot reset after a drop ball, an error, a you know. And so this last one is really about the men and women we've interviewed over the last decade who have the highest resilient skills mm. really have some brain hacks in common. I mean, they, they're doing some serious ninja talking to themselves during failure that allows them not only to get out from underneath it, but to learn from it and then embed what they've learned in their teams and culture. And so it's skills like the number one part of that is challenging the stories we make up in the middle of conflict. Right. And so, but it's also learning to, again, how do I get curious? How do I recognize what I'm feeling? How do I, you know, how do I rumble with a story until I get to the truth? How do I say, look, Chad, you know, here's what I'm making up about what happened in that meeting. Is that what you saw? And you're like, I didn't, I didn't see that at all. Um, because our brain forces us to make up stories. It, it needs stories because its job is to protect us. So it wants stories with good guys and bad guys and safe people and dangerous people. And we give them those stories. And then we get chemically rewarded for those stories regardless right. of the accuracy. So every day in every office in every part of the world, people are making up hundreds of stories that just aren't true. And so this is the skill about how to reset after failure and disappointment and setback 
how to figure out what the key learning is, and then how to embed that learning. So you just, so you and your colleagues don't keep repeating it. You talk about armored leadership, which I, I, I love kind of the words you put around that because that hits home for me with, with, with some of the times I've fallen short, leaders I've had. You've talked about daring leadership. So the difference there, people are going to understand that better. If a person wanted to get started, if they wanted to um, make the shift, make the change, where do you, what, you know, what, what path would you put them on other than picking up this book and, and reading the research? Like what, where would someone start? Yeah, I think that's what's, I think it's a great question because this is tactical skills building. This is not theoretical, you know, contemplation. Right. I would start with this. When thing, when you feel uncertain, when you feel vulnerable, the first thing I would do is figure out what is your armor? Like for me, I become the knower. I become micromanaging. I can become controlling. I am also, I can look for people to blame when things go wrong instead of sitting back and staying curious. And, and then when we figure it out, holding myself and others accountable, like the first thing, if you want to move from armored leadership to daring leadership, you have to figure out how and where you armor, hmm. what do you use and when, and then you have to figure out if you don't have that big clunky suit of armor on and you don't have that 20 ton shield in front of you. What is it that you're afraid that people are going to see? Hmm. What is the one me, thing? Oh, I'm sorry, Brene. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Gonna, what is the one thing? Because we're right up towards the end of our time. What is the yeah. one thing that you want our listeners to kind of take away from our conversation today? That courage, that courage is a skill set. And that if we can teach it and measure it and observe it, and we're choosing not to because it's an investment of time and energy and, you know, and and, and some muscle building, why, why are we choosing not to do it? And we have to ask ourselves, if we need braver leaders, but we're not investing in, in skilling them up, what's getting in the way? So much appreciate your time. If people want to dig a little bit deeper and and learn a little bit more, where would you send people uh, to to find out a little bit more about all this incredible research you're putting out there? Um, I would send them to BreneBrown.com, just B-R-E-N-E-B-R-O-W-N.com. And um, you'll find a lot about the book when it's coming out around the world. Um, We're also doing a global read-along when the book launches. You can learn more about that. Um, and then we'll have nine different ways you can engage with the content on our Dare to Lead Hub that launches uh, next week. I love it. Brene Brown, thank you so much. Thanks for your time and thanks for just your passion and your energy and, and always um, out there looking to find ways to make us, us, us all more courageous, push fear away and, uh, and, and just be better. Thanks as well for joining us today on The Leader Chat. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Chad. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, 
or Google Play or wherever you're listening, and please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Thanks, Chad. You know, I I just loved your interview with Brene Brown. As you could tell, listening to it, uh, we're kind of a mutual admiration society, you know. And Brene and I both agree that to be a daring leader, uh, it starts on the inside. You know, it's an inside-out job, and that it really involves feeling good about yourself because then you can, you know, uh, confront vulnerability. Then you can, you know, deal, build a trusting relationship. Then you can listen more. You can manage by values and and all because you're focused on other people. And the problem with character when it's self-focused, it's all about you. It's not about the people that you're trying to lead. And therefore, that's why we have a 12-step Egos Anonymous program, you know, because the ego is the biggest issue because you know, we edge God out or everything good outside by first false pride when we're really thinking that we're brighter than, we're smarter than, you know. And that's that's an armor that some people have, and they don't listen because their armor is, I got to protect that they're better than everybody. But there's also another side of that, and that's fear of self-doubt when you have a less-than philosophy. And now your armor is one of protection, you know, uh, there, where the, the armor of the uh, false pride is, you know, how can I make sure you know I'm in charge and all. And so Brene and I both agree, if we can get people out of their own way and be comfortable with who they are, then they can really dare to lead in a way that really makes a difference. Now listen time and time again to Brene and read this book because I think it'll make a difference. She's one of the great thinkers in our field that we've ever had. So thanks, Chad. Great interview. Brene, I love you. Thank you.